Okay, so your car just craps out one morning and ultimately it goes to the dealer on the back of a tow truck and the dealer calls you a couple of days later and goes, bad news, dude, new transmission, that's going to take a couple of weeks and no can do on the issue of loan car. Where do you stand on that? Are they required to offer you one? And how do you play it if you really need the car to function in modern life? You know, get to work, pick up the kids, etc. Details next. I'm John Cadogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. <laughs> Even with the market as off its meds as it is now. It's true. Anyway, Australia only. Website. Card. Now, got this question here from Tim Pullins. Pullo. Pullo. That he can fight. Now, it's exactly this, right? My partner's three-year-old Hyundai Kona Auto will not reverse. So, under warranty for another couple of years at least, provided she hasn't abused it. That's a clear warranty sort of thing, isn't it? Engine light on, selecting reverse, applying the throttle, just silence and no movement. Hyundai customer service organised for it to be towed to the nearest dealer. After two days with dealer service, they advised that the entire transmission needs to be replaced. Bummer. But you get a new transmission, so there's that. However, they are now waiting for approval from Hyundai to do so. And that's probably in the dealership's contract with Hyundai for jobs of this nature. They have to get a green light from the mothership, you know, and that's not illegal. It's just a kind of bureaucratic process. Then they're going to try and source the parts. So far, the earliest time frame for resolution seems like a couple of weeks, which would be flat out a miracle in the current climate because some people are waiting months upon months endlessly for parts. We'll get to that. Ask the dealer for a spare car to use, like a loaner. They said they will try but can't guarantee anything. Not holding out much hope there. With possible delays in getting parts, etc., it's hard to guess how long my partner will be without a car. Yeah, crystal balls, notoriously fallible. Just ask any economist. Uh, a couple of weeks could easily turn into a month or more. And that's a shit sandwich, isn't it? Hence my question for an example such as this, getting a vehicle fixed under warranty, is Hyundai or the dealer required to provide my partner with a temporary vehicle given the extended duration for the issue to be resolved? Mm. I can understand that for a couple of days or even a week, provision of temporary car isn't mandatory, but if we're talking two weeks plus... Is there a point at which the dealer or Hyundai must provide us with alternate transportation? Or are we on our own and need to hire a car or work out other arrangements? Thanks in advance for your help. Keep up the great work and help Mal's. Pullo. Righto, Pullo, well done on the apostrophe front, dude. You use them several times. All correctly. Go to the top 5% of the English-speaking Australian population, dude. Hardly anyone gets that right. Okay, so... There's a couple of overlapping factors in play here. There's warranty, which most people focus on, and then there's Australian consumer law. And it just does my head in how so many people are so ignorant when it comes to consumer law and how it plays, okay? Even though we've had the current version of consumer law for like 11 and a bit years now. So there's really no excuse for not knowing how this works. Anyway... There's a couple of factors, okay? There's overlap between warranty and consumer law, but consumer law trumps warranty every time in the domain of exactly what you're entitled to. And I have to be pretty clear here. If you abuse the car, right, 
All bets are off in warranty and consumer law. And that's part of the reason why they're going to head office. They're looking at the service history of this vehicle. Have you had it serviced on time? Because eh, if you haven't, because that constitutes abuse, dude, and they're likely to deny any warranty claim and you probably can't pursue them on the basis of consumer law if you don't take reasonable care of the car. So that, this is why it's so important to get your car serviced on time and not abuse it in other ways. Like, don't park it in the ocean. Stuff like that. That's in the manual, I think. There's a, there's a thing like a reasonable time frame is important, okay? If a car maker can't basically repair your car in a reasonable time frame, that can be a huge problem in the domain of consumer law right? Not so much for warranty, because a minor problem, which Hyundai would probably allege that this is, even though it doesn't seem minor to you or your partner, I know, but it's minor in as much as it can just be repaired. And if a problem is minor, you don't get to reject the vehicle, you don't get to demand a refund or a replacement, okay? The dealer can choose how to effect a remedy for you, in this case, replacement transmission. However, Minor problems can turn into major problems under consumer law if it takes too friggin' long to fix the car. And if that happens, you get to reject the vehicle, demand a refund or uh, replacement. Okay, so this is a big deal and the clock is ticking. This is absolutely etched in stone in the legislation. And the other factor here is what they call in the domain of legality, and I'm not a lawyer, right, but they call it consequential loss. Okay, you can claim the costs of consequential losses when your car goes poopy in its trousers and it's off the road for weeks. You can claim things like the cost of hiring a suitable replacement vehicle. Not a friggin' Lamborghini, right? Just a similar car to the one you are without, okay? And we'll get to that. But there's a really helpful thing that you can download. It's like a 38-page PDF, I hope you can see that okay, right, it's from the ACCC, it's a whole consumer law set of guidelines, it's actually for motor vehicle sales and repair businesses, so dealerships and repairers, okay, but it's really interesting if you view it from the perspective of being a consumer, all right, and I'm not going to read it all to you because who has time, but there's some interesting parts of it, and I urge you to go and have a little look for it. Just Google the term motor vehicle sales and repairs, ACCC, you'll find it, okay? Now, what it basically says here is if a manufacturing defect causes a vehicle to become immobile and not drivable, and this defect cannot be easily repaired with the result that the vehicle is not able to be used within a reasonable time, this is likely to constitute a major failure to comply with the consumer guarantee of acceptable quality. And this triggers your entitlement to rejecting the vehicle and demanding a refund. So the clock is ticking for all businesses involved in the repair of vehicles because otherwise a minor problem which they get to call the shots on turns into a major problem which could involve them, you know, stumping up a complete refund or something. They also say, where a vehicle experiences multiple minor failures which necessitate multiple or repeated repairs with the result that the vehicle cannot be used by the owner for unreasonable periods of time, e.g. because the vehicle is not in the owner's possession, 
This is likely to constitute a major failure to comply with the consumer guarantee of acceptable quality. So this is how minor problems become major. All right. They give a couple of examples there too, which are pretty straightforward, but it basically spells it all out. What they say here in one of the examples, however, is pretty interesting. If you have identified a major failure but have not been able to fix it within a reasonable time, this is if you, the business, have done that, you've identified a, ma a minor failure but you're unable to fix it, the consumer can choose to get the job done elsewhere and charge you the reasonable costs of this repair or treat the failure as major, okay? And that triggers your entitlement to a full refund, like purchase price refund. This applies even if the delay is due to the unavailability of parts. Now, that's the ACCC telling you that parts not being available is not an excuse for, you know, your car being off the road for an unreasonably long period. See inability to repair within a reasonable time on page 16. And, you know, they also go on and talk about major failures when consumers are not entitled to reject goods. And this would be after the rejection period has passed. And this is really interesting too, okay, because rejection period depends on a few things, the nature of the vehicle and uh, what a reasonable person would expect. They say that the, rejected, the rejection period is the period commencing from the time a consumer bought the vehicle during which it would be reasonable to expect a problem to appear, okay? The length of a vehicle's rejection period is yet to be the subject of significant judicial in consideration, meaning in court. However, there is nothing in the consumer law to suggest that its application is related to the concept of warranties. And this means, right, that you can be out of warranty and still protected by consumer law. The rejection period, I'm guessing, is probably something like 10 years and 200,000 Ks, 160,000 Ks, something of that nature, right? So if you get to 10 years, 160,000 Ks and something major goes poopy in its trousers, that's on you, the cost, okay? But within that period, even if the vehicle is out of warranty, provided you haven't abused it, you are still protected by this warranty-like protection of consumer law. And that's important to know, dude. So they say it is therefore entirely possible that the warranty period can end before the rejection period ends. It is also possible that a latent defect does not become apparent until it has been identified and diagnosed. In determining whether the rejection period has passed, it is relevant to consider the type of vehicle, the way in which the consumer is likely to use it, the length of time, amount of use that would reasonably be expected to elapse before the problem becomes apparent. And then just closing this whole thing off, which so many people don't get. There's a whole page, it's page 16 of that PDF, that's devoted to inability to repair within a reasonable time. A reasonable repair time for the purpose of determining whether a fault is major is assessed taking into account the nature of the problem and the difficulty in identifying it. Otherwise, the assessment is on the basis of all things being normal or equal, for example, that parts are available. A failure that is initially assessed as minor, but which is not fixed within a reasonable time, for example, because the parts subsequently become unavailable or because of any other reason beyond your control, gives the consumer the right to reject 
the vehicle. If multiple repair attempts are required to remedy a single minor failure, which is indicative of a systemic problem, you should consider the combined length of all repair attempts. This is, again, the business should consider the combined duration of all those repair attempts, not the individual length of each repair in isolation when deciding if the repair time is reasonable. Okay. They give a couple of examples. They say a two-year-old vehicle suffered from a manufacturing defect that caused the engine and the vehicle to seize. The dealer initially assessed the repair as taking a day or two, but despite the dealer's best attempts, the vehicle was unable to be repaired within five weeks. This indicates that the fault was not one that could be fixed within a reasonable time. There was a major failure to comply with the consumer guarantees and the consumer was entitled to reject the vehicle under the consumer guarantees. That's what I mean about the clock is ticking, right? And the second example is that an 18-month-old vehicle had an intermittent electrical fault that caused a warning light to activate from time to time. I friggin' hate that. Intermittent faults are the worst. The consumer accepted that the fault was minor and asked the dealer to repair it because he's a good bloke. They're both good blokes, probably. But the warning light did not activate while the vehicle was in for repair. And that's the biggest bastard of all time about intermittent faults, frankly. So it was not possible to identify the cause of the problem. This is why they keep using the word reasonable, okay? The consumer returned the vehicle for a second and third attempted repair and the dealer was eventually able to identify the repair and repair the fault, sorry. The consumer was not entitled to reject the vehicle as the time taken to remedy the fault was reasonable when the nature of the fault was taken into account. Now, I strongly suggest you download this and read it because it basically spells out those rights, okay? Motor vehicle sales and repairs, ACCC, that'll find it straight away. So there is a real obligation on manufacturers and dealers to stump up the parts quickly. Fuck COVID. That's not an excuse. And I know COVID's become an excuse for everything. It's become an excuse for why every parcel you order comes three days late and is damaged, you know. Courier companies use it incessantly. Every corporate website has impact of COVID on their frigging homepage, just so you know, okay? But that is not an excuse under Australian consumer law for them to just dick around and have your vehicle off the road for weeks. So what else can you do? There's also in this document a separate page about a thing called consequential loss, okay? And what the ACCC says about that, okay, is that consequential loss is the reasonably foreseeable associated cost to a consumer of a problem with products or services. It is usually financial but can include other costs such as lost time or productivity. A consumer can claim compensation for consequential loss from a dealer or independent repairer who failed to comply with one or more of the consumer guarantees. The loss or damage must have been reasonably foreseeable as a result of the failure to comply with the relevant consumer guarantee. So here's the thing, dude. Your transmission goes poopy in its trousers and your vehicle is off the road during the repair period. That's reasonably foreseeable. And if you friggin' need to get around because there's no bus stop or train station on your front door and you need to go to work or care for your ageing parents or just get the kids to school, whatever, then the cost of a vehicle so that you can facilitate those things for which you purchase the vehicle in the first friggin' place, that's foreseeable, <coughs> I'd suggest, not being a lawyer. They go on and they say... 
Dealers and independent repairers do not have to pay for losses or damages that are not caused by their conduct or the products they supplied. So if you modify your car and it shits itself as a consequence, good luck playing that card, dude. And they say that they're not required to pay for losses or damages that are caused by something completely independent of their business after the products left their control, which seems entirely reasonable also. And they give an example here. A consumer was driving her new four-wheel drive vehicle when the engine started smoking and then burst into flames. Obviously a Ford. Hmm. And... The cause of the fire was investigated, that'll get back, and determined to be the result of a manufacturing defect. Although the driver escaped without injury, yes, the vehicle and its interior were severely damaged. The fire also destroyed the consumer's wedding dress, which she had placed on the back seat. That's an omen, love. Like, it's telling you that he, he might not be the one. Anyway, as the cause of the fire was a manufacturing defect, this occurred... Uh, amounting to a major failure to meet the consumer guarantees, the consumer was entitled to choose a refund or replacement of her vehicle. She was also entitled to claim compensation for the consequential loss from the vehicle's dealer for the cost of her wedding dress, as it was reasonably foreseeable that any personal belongings that were in the vehicle would be damaged. Okay, So that's consequential loss, and I'd suggest that, therefore, consequential losses of this nature are absolutely within the wheelhouse of consumer law. So there's no obligation on the dealer to stump up a loan car. And if you go for the loan car, I'd read the fine print and make sure you're happy with the insurance excess because dealers and car companies are absolutely rabid for cutting their operational costs, one of which being insurance of their fleet of vehicles and one of the ways to cut the cost of insurance is just to pump up the excess right so it's likely that a loan car will be supplied to you by a dealer with a massive excess in the event of an at-fault crash by you okay so I'd be a bit careful about that it might actually be more of a risk management exercise to rent your own friggin car and be happier with the contract there Take legal advice if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about in respect of all of that. So it seems to me that even though the dealer's not obligated to cover the cost of a replacement car while your car is being repaired, A, they don't want the repair to take too long because that could trigger a major problem. And if it's a major problem, you get to decide whether you want a refund or, you know, a replacement vehicle by rejecting the vehicle because obviously if it's in warranty it's inside the rejection period and it's got a major problem now because they can't fix it and the other thing is you know consequential loss they don't have to offer you the car but you are able to claim costs of this nature now, i also had a look at new south wales fair trading they've got a, a, a web page devoted to claiming compensation the interesting thing there is the example that they use, right? One of the examples is that a car gets repaired by some mechanic and you drive it home and it leaks oil all over your driveway. Now, the cost of cleaning the driveway, consequential loss. But if your dog runs through the oil and then, you know, spends the next four hours while you're out walking, obviously, just, I don't know, dancing on your new white carpet 
that's not the kind of thing that you can claim because although the cost of cleaning the concrete flowing from this leak of oil is a foreseeable sort of consequential loss, nobody in their right mind could foresee that your dog would walk all of that oil inside and dance it deep down into the pile of your new white woolen carpet. So there's that. I hope that really has spelt out the way in particular, consumer law works. Because so many people, you might be among them, they approach me and they say, warranty this and warranty that and blah, blah, blah. Warranty is always trumped by consumer law. So a manufacturer can deny a warranty claim, for example, on the basis of Christ knows what. But if it's fair enough under consumer law, because it's after the warranty period or because this or that, okay? Consumer law always protects you within the rejection period, okay? And that's why you should download the friggin' brochure, dude, and have a read of it because it's all about cars and how consumer law works. And if you step into the service department not knowing that crap, then you are just standing on the X waiting to get shot in the head because that's how a dealership service department ambush works.